0: listening to Understanding Obadiah. That's right, Obadiah. If you remember this guy, he's probably one of the most overlooked prophets. Uh, He's only one chapter long. It's 21 verses. And if you blink, you'll miss him. He's right before Jonah. I was actually, for this podcast, I was trying to find Obadiah and I'm like, man, this is literally trying to find a needle in a haystack. I mean, he's just, how are you going to find one page in the midst of you know, hundreds of pages of Scripture. But uh, Obadiah is a prophet. He did speak on behalf of the Lord. This is the Word of God, and it's important for us to learn. And uh, this is a part of a larger project, if you've been following us for a little bit, uh, uh, called Understanding the Old Testament, where we're trying to make the Old Testament accessible and uh, try to get people to appreciate and uh, maybe not be as intimidated by some of the more obscure and strange elements of the Old Testament, um, but rather be motivated to say, hey, you know what? This is worth digging into. This is God's Word. This is the Bible that Jesus devoted his life to and taught from, and it's got something for us to understand, to meditate on, and to live out in our lives. So the book of Obadiah is a prophecy against the nation of Edom. Uh, The Edomites were... Uh, regular enemies and adversaries of Israel, and we'll talk a little bit uh, more about why that is. But uh, this is a a prophecy not against Israel, but against a Gentile nation, which is interesting, or at least a a non-Israelite nation. And uh, it, it, it shows us the scope of God's care for the world and God's justice. It's not just about disciplining Israel when they disobey the Lord, but All the nations of the world will be held to account. And we touched on these themes in our prior series on the book of Amos, where Amos uh, takes the nations of the world to task. So this is along that vein. This is along that line of thinking. So I'm going to read Obadiah, and we're going to look at the ways in which God exercises His judgment. First, on this non-Israelite nation. But then transitions that and and says, this judgment on Edom is actually a microcosm of my eventual judgment of the entire world. That all the nations of the world need to know that what happened to Edom will happen to them unless they repent. This is Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up! Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, "'Who will bring me down to the ground?' Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed! Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape-gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out, all your allies have driven you to your border— Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them." As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions." The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau. And those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. There's a lot of ground covered in this short prophetic book. And in order to understand the gravity of this situation, we need a little bit of background information. First, we have to understand what is the relationship between Edom and Israel. God is judging Edom because of their pride in gloating over Israel's demise and also taking advantage of Israel in their weakened state after the invasion of the Babylonians in 586. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, what's the relationship between Edom and Israel? Well, Edom, uh, the Edomites, they are the descendants of Esau. Now, if you remember back in Genesis, you have Abraham, who married Sarah. And they had Isaac, their son. And Isaac married Rebekah, and Rebekah gave birth to twins, Esau, the firstborn, the one who was born just a few moments before the second son, Jacob. So Esau and Jacob are these brothers. And in Genesis, they have a tension because Esau is supposed to inherit the promise from Isaac because he's the firstborn. But Jacob, through some trickery and through Esau's own sin, ends up taking the mantle that the firstborn son Esau deserved. Jacob now becomes the inheritor of the blessing. And this causes tension between the two of them. And that plays out in many ways until finally there's reconciliation uh, towards the latter parts of Genesis. But this tension is played out over and over again in the subsequent generations. So the Edomites who descend from Esau have a similar tension with their brothers, quote unquote, in Israel who descends from Jacob. Remember, God renames Jacob Jacob. Israel, after they have that famous wrestling match in the book of Genesis. So, what we see here is again the playing out of the tensions that stretch all the way back to their forefathers Jacob and Esau. Second, we have to establish the historical background. And I mentioned this uh, just a few moments ago, where in 586 BC, Babylon invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the city, broke down the walls, and then took the people of Jerusalem, into captivity, into Babylon. And and this is where we see all the prophecies of exile come to fruition. Now, what God judges Edom for is they're sort of kicking their brother when he's down. Israel and Jerusalem, they've been plundered and destroyed. And Edom comes in and continues to plunder and uh, take advantage of Israel's weakened state. And so God comes with discipline. And Notice how in Obadiah, you see reference to Esau and Jacob as representatives of these people. And God is trying to trace that lineage back. He's going, look, you're you're attacking Jacob, you descendants of Esau. You're continuing this pattern of familial dysfunction in the way that you're operating with your brother. You're getting greedy, right? You're, you're, You're oppressing your brother in the way that you're treating him. And so God takes them to task for their pride. And this is a playing out in real time of the principle that God is against the proud, but he exalts the humble. And you can see a little bit of Edom's pride in the way that they speak in the first couple of verses. God talks with the pride of their heart, deceiving them. They have this sense of national security. Nothing's going to happen to them. It doesn't matter how they treat Israel. They're going to be fine because they live in the clefts of the rock. In other words, they, they have a strategic advantage where they, where they dwell. They're hidden among the rocks. And they, they soar aloft like, e, uh, like eagles. They, they, they have confidence in their military might and their strength. And they say to themselves, no one's going to bring me down. No, no one's gonna hold us to account. We can do whatever we want. We're strong, we're powerful, we've got everything locked down. And God says, actually, that's not what's gonna happen. God is not hindered by rocks. He's gonna cast you down from the heavens. Uh, he's going to make you small among the nations and humble you in your arrogance. And God's destruction of Edom will be complete and devastating. There's these uh, wor- there's this wordplay that God uses, where He talks about how you know if if thieves came in and invaded, they would still leave some; they would only take what they need. Or or if if um, uh, grape gatherers came in, they would they wouldn't get greedy, right? In other words, uh, these people would come in and they would at least leave a little bit uh, uh, left in the land. But God's destruction will be absolute. He will completely plunder you down. He will plunder Esau down to the bones. That's how serious this judgment is. And God says, look, this is why I'm going to judge you because you gloated over your brother, Jacob. You should not gloat over your fallen brother, but but mourn. Um, God is going to humble you because of your pride. And then in verse 15, there's a switch. There's a transition. God moves from talking about his specific judgment on national Edom and the Edomites to a broader worldwide judgment on all the nations of the world. It's as if he's saying, look, world, pay pay attention to how I'm treating Edom. That's what's going to happen to you if you don't repent. If you are also prideful and hard-hearted towards me, this is a microcosm of what's going to happen eventually one day, on my final day of judgment. Now, God refers to his days of judgment as the day of the Lord. Now, remember if you've followed along with Joel or Amos or our other series, which you can check out on our website, com, and you can go to our supplemental teachings. Um, one of the things we notice is that the day of the Lord can be a specific term regarding uh, historical judgments. So, um, God could bring a national disaster on Israel or our surrounding nation, and that would be a quote-unquote day of the Lord. But these mini-day of the Lords are all foreshadowings or microcosms of a final day of the Lord, God's worldwide judgment. And in verse 15, that's what God's talking about, the final judgment, when God judges all the nations. Uh, he's going to return the nation's evil deeds back upon their head. And he's going to restore the fortunes of his people again. So Mount Zion will be a place of refuge. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. And In other words, he's saying, look, the exiles are going to come back. Even though Babylon has taken over Israel, that's not the end of Israel. God's going to be faithful to his promises. And Edom, because God is going to be faithful to his promises to Israel, you need to make sure that you get right with Israel because what you, how you treated them will come back upon your own head. So God judges Eden with national destruction. And this is a foretaste of God's universal judgment. Now here's the twist. In Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, we see Amos saying that after God's day of judgment, he's going to do something else. That's not the end of the story. That God will judge the nations, and then he will raise up his king. In other words, there will be a moment of great judgment that will usher in this new period of history. And Amos tells us that he will restore the booth of David, that's Israel's kingdom, or the the people of God, and that God's kingdom will possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations called by his name. So, just from Amos' perspective, God will bring in judgment, and then out of that judgment, he will create a new people, in which Israelites and Edomites will be grafted together and all the nations who call upon the Lord who repent and trust him will be grafted into this new people of God. Now, here we see a little bit of of play on on the words. The, the day of the Lord here is referring to the death and resurrection of Christ. Because in Christ there was a judgment that happened upon Christ. This is a foretaste of Jesus' ministry grafting Gentiles into the people of God. Think about Ephesians chapter 2. It talks about how you who are once far off, who are uncircumcised, talking about the Gentiles, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. And and Jews and Gentiles have now been grafted in as one new man. The dividing wall of hostility has been removed. And and this is hearkening back to Amos' prophecy, that look, the judgment of the nations in Christ is going to bring about a renewal. It's going to bring about a grafting in that the line of Jacob and Esau will now be reconciled through the blood of Jesus, through the blood of the cross. And we know this because James quotes the book of Amos in Acts. In the, the, the famous Jerusalem council in Acts 15, James says, look, all these Gentiles are coming. Gentiles are coming to Christ. We shouldn't freak out about that. That's a good thing. In fact, it's a fulfillment of this prophecy in Amos that all the nations are going to draw themselves or be drawn in to Christ. And isn't it fascinating that that Obadiah is preaching against the folly of Edom and Amos is talking about the hope of Edom. And when you put these together, you realize God has a wide, gracious plan. That even though the Edomites, following their father Esau, are hostile towards their brother Jacob. God still has a plan to reconcile not just people to himself but people to one another. And we see that plan in effect in again the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 and also Ephesians chapter 2 speaking about how God has grafted together Jew and Gentile in this new body, the body of Christ. And we benefit from this. We're the most of us listening are Gentiles. We were once far off. We were like the Edomites. But now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we cannot forget that horizontal implication. That God brings judgment and salvation. That God removes the stain of our sin. Not just the enmity between us and Him, but the enmity we have with one another. And calls us brothers and sisters. There's no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. But all are one in Jesus Christ. God is putting families back together. God is reconciling lost brothers. And God is drawing all people, all nations to himself through the work of Jesus Christ.